0: This morning, uh, if you're able, I'd invite you to stand with me as we hear the words of the Lord read together. I'm going to be reading Jonah chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Uh, Jonah 3, 4 through 10. It's the word of the Lord. Jonah began to go into the city. Going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. Uh, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. We pray for us, uh, Lord. We ask You to be with us today as we consider the words of Jonah. Uh, we pray, Lord, You'd be with us as we consider um, this message, uh, this warning from Jonah, the uh, response that we see in Nineveh, Lord, and as we consider ultimately Your grace. In name and pray. Amen. Let me be seated. Well, this morning, uh, we are continuing in our study of the book of Jonah, and we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, which I just read for us. And over the past few weeks, we have followed the story of Jonah as a congregation. And Jonah has always been a story in the Bible that I've loved. Many of us have grown up hearing Jonah. It's been one of our favorite stories. And the reason is is that the the story of Jonah is this amazing story. Uh, Jonah... Um, it's just a story that captures our attention as each new section of the story brings with it a new surprise. You know, we're surprised at the prophet Jonah and his decision to turn from God, um, to, to run from his God's command. Uh, we're surprised at the greatness of the storm that terrifies experienced sailors as God intervenes in the life of his rebellious prophet who is asleep to the danger that he's in. Uh, We're surprised when these same sailors uh, respond to all that they've experienced by fearing the Lord, uh, by offering sacrifices to God. Uh, We're surprised when God reveals his total control over his creation and sends a great fish to miraculously preserve Jonah's life by swallowing Jonah. Uh, We're surprised that it's not until the moment that Jonah is in the belly of a great fish that we finally hear him pray to his God. Uh, we're, We're surprised when we see God's mercy on display as God recommissions Jonah at the beginning of this third chapter of this book. And this morning, in this story that is full of surprises uh, that capture our attention all throughout the story, uh, we are met with another incredible surprise. Uh, When Jonah finally brought to obedience by God's gracious pursuit, when Jonah proclaims God's message of coming judgment to the wicked people of Nineveh, the entire population of Nineveh responds by repenting. And in response to their repentance, God relents of his judgment against them. So the story of Jonah is this kind of this amazing story that is full of surprises that get bigger and bigger and bigger as the story goes on. And I think that this is one of the main reasons that we love the story of Jonah. You know, as humans, uh, we love to be amazed. We like to be surprised. Uh, That's why we tune in to things like dunk contests or to the Olympics or championship games. Uh, We love to be amazed uh, by these incredible feats performed by the world's greatest athletes. Uh, That's why we'll get up. um, I don't know if Christians can get up at ungodly hours, but that's why we get up at ungodly hours um, to watch a sunrise. Uh, Some of y'all get up before the sunrise every day. You're like, what? But uh, for me, that's early. Uh, You get up super early to watch the sunrise. That's why you... Uh, hike through the woods to marvel at a waterfall. Uh, that's why even in the 21st century, uh, we'll stop and we'll watch a magician or a one-man band on the road like they would have in the 17th century. Um, and I'm somewhat embarrassed to admit this, but twice in my life, I have been fooled into staying up way past midnight uh, because a show on the Discovery Channel claimed, uh, first the first time, uh, they claimed they had evidence that dragons were real, um, so that's all it took um, I'll go ahead and tell you that they did not actually have that evidence. Um, the second time, uh, I actually made Amanda stay up. It was like two thirty in the morning. I was like, "No, no, they found it." You know. Uh, the second time, they claimed they had evidence that megalodons, uh, the giant sharks, that megalodons were alive. They were living in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, they don't. They also don't have that evidence. Uh, so, but why do we do these kind of things? Why do we look to be amazed? Well, it's because we're a skeptical people who still somehow love to be amazed. Um, it's this interesting thing about us in our, this moment in culture. We're intelligent. We're skeptical of everything. At the same time, we'll scroll through our phone. We'll look online. We'll, we'll go to all kinds of places in nature. We'll watch sports because we want to be amazed. Uh, we want to be surprised and amazed by something. We love it when something spectacular uh, breaks into our normal everyday lives. <laughs> And that's, and that's what we have in the book of Jonah. Um, if you look at the writings of the prophets in the Old Testaments, it's, it's not unusual for God to tell one of his prophets to cry out against the sins of, another, of a foreign nation. Uh, it is unusual for God to send a prophet to them uh, to bring that message in person, and it's unheard of for them to actually respond in repentance. Uh, Hebrews 11 tells us that most of the prophets in the Old Testament uh, were killed by the people of Israel who refused to listen to God's warning and who refused to listen to these prophets and who refused to repent. And so Jonah is a book of surprises. And the greatest surprise that we find on every page of this story is God's grace poured out on sinners over and over and over again. Um, God's grace in the story of Jonah is somehow always a surprise to us. You know, throughout the book of Jonah, and especially in our passage this morning, we're confronted with this question. You know, how, how can a God who takes sin so seriously forgive sinners who don't deserve to be forgiven? Um, in, a, in a book uh, that is full of surprises, we're meant to be absolutely amazed at what happens in this passage today. And since, and since we continue to find ourselves both in need of and surprised by the grace of God, Uh, We need to pay careful attention to our passage today as we consider uh, the surprising grace of God for sinners. And so this morning, we're going to walk through this passage together, and then we'll spend uh, just a few minutes looking at uh, five things that we see God doing in this passage that he still does today. And as we begin, let me read verse four for us again. It says, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So at the end of verse 3, where we left off last week, we're told that Nineveh was a three-day's journey across. And here, in verse 4, we're told that Jonah went one day's journey into the city before he began to cry out God's message. And in this little detail, we have more evidence of Jonah's newfound obedience. He could have just stood at one of the city's gates and told God's message to everyone who kind of went in and out. Uh, but instead he went deep into the city. Um, and he faithfully proclaimed the message that God had commanded him to. And and what a message, right? What a message uh, to proclaim to your enemies. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Uh, this is the kind of message that no one wants to deliver. Uh, a message of God's impending judgment against sinners. And yet that is the message that Jonah is given to deliver to this people. And there is no doubting uh, that it is a message of judgment. If you think of the number 40, uh, that's a number that we run into several times in the Bible. Uh, When you hear the number 40, you think of the 40 days and nights that it rained when God flooded the earth. Uh, You think of the 40 years that the Israelites uh, roamed in the wilderness while the faithless generation perished. So 40 is a number that often represents God's completed judgment. Well, in 40 days... Uh, God's wrath is going to be poured out on this city. And we know that because Jonah says that the city is going to be overturned. Uh, That's the language used, that the city is going to be overturned. And the other time in scripture that that phrase is used is when God is declaring his judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Jonah's message is short, but it's to the point. In 40 days, God is going to wipe the city of Nineveh and its inhabitants from the face of the earth. And, And verse three of this chapter, it referred to Nineveh as a, as a great city. And Nineveh fits the word great in every way. Uh, Nineveh was a large city, both in size and in population, um, especially so because when they, um, in the ancient times, they included the smaller cities around it when they counted kind of the size and the population of the city. Uh, Nineveh was kind of like Atlanta or Charlotte, where the smaller cities are, uh, that were nearby were kind of frequently referred to as the larger city. Uh, When you're trying to tell people where you're from, instead of saying York, you might say Rock Hill. The nearest large city, you might say Charlotte. Um, If they don't know where Rock Hill is, you'll go to the next largest city. Um, You know, everybody in Georgia is from Atlanta. Um, (laughs) I've I've lived in four or five cities around there, and every time somebody asks me where I'm from Atlanta, Uh, because it's just easier from the, you know, they want to know something. Uh, The largest city is what they recognize. And so Nineveh was this large city um, by size, by population, especially when they included the little cities around it. And so it was a great city in that sense. Uh, we also know from history that uh, the city of Nineveh was well fortified. It was the leading city of Assyria, uh, which was the nation that constantly threatened Israel during this time period. And is also uh, the reigning you know, sin city of the day. Uh, we're told in chapter, in chapter 1 of Jonah uh, that their sin was so bad that God says that their evil has come up before me. And again, the only other time that God uses that phrase in the Bible is is when he was talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, which he destroyed, and so this this is the city that God has sent Jonah to, with a message that in forty days Nineveh will be destroyed. And the story began. Uh, it began when God told Jonah to rise up and to call out against Nineveh, and Jonah has finally delivered the message. and And the question now is, well, how will they respond? Uh, what will what the people of Nineveh do with this message? And we find the response in verses 5 through 9. So let me read those verses again for us. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles that neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. You know, as a reader, we're supposed to be surprised uh, when we read verses 5 through 9. and We're supposed to be surprised at what happens in Nineveh. An Israelite reading this story would have been absolutely floored. And they read about Nineveh's response to Jonah's preaching. Uh, Israel very rarely responds in repentance to the preaching of a prophet. Uh, Jonah doesn't repent until he's in the belly of a great fish deep under the waters. Uh, We're told that when they heard this message, they believed God. And and many of the commentators uh, on this passage, they note that even though Assyria was still uh, the main power in the region during that time, uh, the time of Jonah, uh, that things weren't really going Assyria's way. Uh, they had suffered several natural disasters. Uh, they had begun to suffer military defeats. Uh, they had suffered multiple famines during this time. And, and these events that they had kind of gone through may have, may in, in some way explain why they were so receptive to Jonah's message. Um, when Jonah shows up, the people of Nineveh are ready to believe his word. Destruction is coming because uh, this once powerful nation had begun to began to decline and he started having famines, natural disasters, suffering military defeats. And then Jonah shows up and he says, in 40 days, the city is going to be gone. Uh, things were not going their way as a nation. And so when Jonah sh- shows up, they're ready to believe him. Uh, when Jonah shows up proclaiming their coming destruction, we're told that they believe God, uh, which means that they believe that the words of Jonah uh, were coming directly from God to them. And they responded with radical repentance. Uh, we're told... Um, that, the people, uh, that the repentance started with the people in the streets and that when the king hears about Jonah's message, he humbles himself and he joins in. Uh, he joined in the, um, with, with the fasting. He joined in uh, with the, wearing sackcloth instead of his royal robes. Uh, he even issues this kind of joint decree with the nobles that everyone should fast, that everyone should wear sackcloth. He states that they, are, they as a people were guilty of doing evil, uh, that they should turn from their evil ways that they should cry out mightily to God in the hopes that perhaps God would spare them. And this was just, this was an unheard of thing for an Assyrian king to do this. And it shows just how much they truly believe this message. And I love this detail. Uh, the king even makes the animals in the city participate in this fast. Um, the animals not only don't get food and water, they have to wear sackcloth. Um you know, they had to wear rough cloth. They're covering their animals. Um, the response in Nineveh is, is meant to be incredible to us. Um, it's surprising to us. This is radical repentance from a people we, we never would have expected radical repentance from. You know, Israel has this long history of rejecting the messages of God's prophets, and here are the people of Nineveh fasting and putting on sackcloth in response to Jonah's preaching. And, and I love how, it, after issuing this decree, the king says, well, "Who knows? Who knows?" God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. This, this pagan king, he doesn't know if this will help or not, but he has hope. He has hope that God would not have sent a warning if there was no hope, if, if there's no hope that they might be spared from his coming judgment. And so the king admits that they have sinned, uh, but he hopes for grace anyway. You know, the question is, will a a God who takes sin seriously forgive repentant sinners? That's the king's question. He doesn't know, but he hopes so. And in verse 10, we see God's response. Verse 10 says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And so in this verse, we're told that God sees the repentance of the Ninevites and he relents. He relents. He withholds the punishment uh, that he had threatened through Jonah. And the question is, well, why would would God do this? This, These are the enemies of Israel. This is a foreign nation. This is not his people that he's specially chosen. Why would God forgive them when they repent? And the answer is because he said he would. uh, Because he said he would. In Jeremiah 18, 7 through 8, God says this, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom That I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do it. Uh, So when Jonah is finally brought to obedience by God's gracious pursuit and then proclaims God's message of coming judgment to the wicked people of Nineveh, the entire population of Nineveh responds with this radical repentance that even includes the animals. Um, And in response to their repentance, God keeps his word. God keeps his word, and he relents of his judgment against them. And so as this chapter ends, the Ninevites uh, Ninevites become kind of these unexpected recipients of God's grace. And so Jonah is a book of surprises, and the greatest surprise that we find on every page of this story is God's grace poured out on sinners over and over and over again, and a book that is full of surprises. We are meant to be just caught off guard, absolutely amazed at Nineveh's response to God's warning and at God's gracious response to Nineveh. And next week, we're going to look at chapter four. Uh, We're going to see how Jonah responds to God's grace towards the Ninevites. But uh, before we go this morning, we're going to spend just a few minutes looking at uh, five things that we see God doing in this passage that he still does today. Uh, Five things that we see God doing in this passage that he still does today. And the first thing uh, that we see God doing in this passage that he still does today is this. Uh, God still takes sin seriously. Uh, God still takes sin seriously. Uh, From everything that we can learn uh, by looking at the history of Assyria, Nineveh deserved to be destroyed. Uh, Several times commentators mention uh, that Nineveh was the sin city of their day. Uh, they were violent. They were incredibly immoral. Uh, the book of Jonah uses language that intentionally compares the sins of Nineveh and the type of destruction that, that Nineveh had earned to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, that we read about in Genesis chapters 18 and 19. And so, so why does God send this warning uh, to wicked Nineveh through Jonah? God sends this warning to this foreign city because God takes sin seriously in the Bible. Um, and it makes it clear that God still takes sin seriously now. Um, throughout the Bible, we see the seriousness of sin. Uh, in the words that are written, uh, the stories that are told, uh, we see God judging cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. We read of the countless sacrifices in the temple, um, in the tabernacle, and later in the temple. Uh, we read of uh, wicked kings who lead their people into sin. Uh, we see Israel carried off into exile later because of their sins. From the moment that sin enters into the, the world, God has taken it seriously, and, and the truth is He still does. Um, and there are plenty of passages uh, that I could go to to talk about how God feels about sin, but I just want to read uh, this one. This is just Romans six twenty three. A lot of us have not memorized. It says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, this short verse tells us all that we need to know about God's view of sin. Uh, sin, uh, rebellion against God, it earns us death. And we're talking about both a physical death, but also a spiritual death, an eternal separation from God, experiencing eternal punishment. Uh, in, in this story, we see that God takes sin uh, seriously. Um, He doesn't leave Nineveh in its sin. He sends a warning and a message uh, that he's going to judge their sin, uh, that their sin requires judgment. Um, And so God also gives us warnings in the Bible and he takes our sin seriously. Um, The Bible tells us that God still takes sin seriously. When we sin, when we rebel against the creator of the universe and choose to live by our own rules uh, rather than by his revealed will for us, we earn for ourselves death and separation and punishment. And so we see that God takes this rebellion, uh, this sin, seriously. God does not ignore sin. And so that's the first thing we see uh, that God is still doing today that he does in this passage, that God takes sin seriously. The second thing that we see God doing in this passage uh, that he still does today is this. God still calls sinners to repentance. God still calls sinners to repentance. One of the points that Sinclair Ferguson makes in his commentary on this passage is, um, is that a message of warning is a message of grace? Uh, Sinclair Ferguson says a message of warning is a message of grace. You know, it's God's grace that sends Jonah to Nineveh to warn the people of His coming judgment on their sin. You know, in, in our passage today, we heard God call Nineveh to repentance, and the truth is, God still calls sinners to repentance by warning us of judgment to come, by warning us of the dangers of our sins. You know, the verse that I just read is a great example of this truth. I'm going to read it again, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This verse is a warning that unrepentant sinning will lead to our ultimate destruction, and that warning truly is a message of grace. If someone doesn't know that they're in danger, and if we don't tell them that they are in danger then how will they ever know that they need to do something to get out of danger, right? Uh, In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8 and 9, 2 Corinthians 7, 8 and 9, Paul says this about the good effects of a message that doesn't uh, hesitate to correct a person in their sin. Uh, Paul says, "'For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while.'" As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Our culture often says that you shouldn't tell people uh, that something that they believe, feel, or do is wrong. And, And this has been going on for a long time, right? It's been going on for years. And in some ways, many Christians have unintentionally adopted not the philosophy, but the approach Uh, Very rarely do we like to talk about hell or even just the dangers of sin. Instead, we prefer to focus on all of the positives of the Christian faith, uh, hoping to convince people to come to God by attracting them to His blessings rather than choosing to warn them of the danger that their sin has put them in. And so the the story of Jonah shows us that it's appropriate. It's appropriate to warn people of the consequences of sin in addition to proclaiming the blessings of belonging to God. And the reality is that in any other area of life, we would not hesitate to tell somebody that they were wrong about something this this significant. Uh, If someone didn't realize that a bridge was out and they were about to drive into a river, we would do everything we could to warn them. If someone thought that two plus two equaled five, uh, we would not hesitate to correct them. Uh, If they said that Abraham Lincoln was the first president of the United States, we would tell them about George Washington. Uh, If we care about the people in our lives... Uh, then we shouldn't be afraid to lovingly tell them that they're wrong when it comes to the rejection of God. In in the book of Jonah, uh, we see that a message of warning is a message of grace. And this is still true today. So that's the the second thing that we see God doing in this passage that he still does today. God still calls sinners to repentance. The third thing that we see God doing in this passage uh, that he still does today is this. Uh, God still uses his word to change even the hardest of hearts. Uh, God still uses his word to change even the hardest of hearts. I keep trying not to say this because I want to say it next week, but I'm going to say it this week and next week. So in the story of Jonah, uh, one of the things that that happens with Old Testament stories is sometimes it's a challenge for us. To uh, see Jesus as the hero of the story, we, you know, there's these great characters who do wonderful things and they're the hero of the story. That's not a problem in Jonah. Jonah is not the hero, right? In <laughs> uh, the story of Jonah, God is the only hero available to us as we look at it. And so <laughs> in the story of Jonah, we see God's word at work changing hearts, including Jonah's, mainly Jonah's. Um, in Jonah's prayer of repentance from inside this great fish, uh, we hear J- uh, Jonah Uh, drawing on the words of the Psalms as he finally cries out to his God from the depths. Um, When Jonah proclaims God's words of warning to wicked and hard-hearted Ninevites, uh, they respond in repentance. When Jonah uh, tells the sailors about who his God is, and they see God um, calm this storm, uh, they respond uh, by offering sacrifices to God. Um, as the truth of God is proclaimed in the stories, they encounter God's word, encounter God's messages, um, hearts are changed. And the truth is that God's word is still just as effective and just as powerful uh, today uh, to change even the hardest of hearts. Um, in First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, uh, we read this powerful truth. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I'm going to read, uh, this is Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Throughout the Bible, throughout the story of Jonah, we see that God's word is still powerful to change hearts. Uh, God is still using his word to bring the loss to himself. Uh, God is still using his word in the lives of his people. Uh, to guide us, to shape us, to grow us into the likeness of Christ. And this means that we need to be engaged with God's word uh, during the week. We need to hear God's word preached. We need to be reading God's word frequently. Uh, We need to be reflecting on the truths that we read, the truths that we hear, um, because God is still using his word to accomplish his work to change hearts. And so that's the third thing, third thing that we see God doing in this passage that he still does today. The fourth thing, that we see God doing in this passage that he still does today is this. Uh, God still forgives repentant sinners. God still forgives repentant sinners. I'm gonna read uh, Psalm 130, verses three through four. Psalm 130, three through four. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. In this story, uh, we see that this verse is true over and over and over again. As we read the story of Jonah, uh, we see God forgiving disobedient Jonah. We see God forgiving pagan sailors. We see God forgiving the people of Nineveh. Um, the good news for us this morning is that God still forgives sinners. And, and here's how we know this, right? Um, in Romans 5, verses 6 through 11, we're told that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins while we were still sinners. You know, that, that question of, well, how can God simultaneously take sin seriously and yet forgive repentant sinners, this is the answer. I'm going to read it for us. Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Since therefore we we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we are reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This passage tells us that the wages of sin has been paid by Jesus Christ for all those who repent of their sins and place their faith in Him. And so in the book of Jonah, we see God forgiving repentant sinners. And the wonderful news for us this morning is that God still forgives repentant sinners. And so that's the fourth thing that we see God doing in this passage that He still does today. The fifth thing that we see God doing in this passage that He still does today is this. God still uses forgiven sinners to tell other sinners the good news. God still uses forgiven sinners to tell other sinners the good news. And if you ever doubt this, remember the story of Jonah. Uh, We've spent several weeks talking about Jonah's rebellion against God. And this week, uh, we're talking about the powerful work of citywide revival and repentance that God accomplished through him. Uh, When it comes to stories of grace, uh, when it comes to stories of grace for repentant sinners, uh, God is always the hero of the story. Um, That's why we don't need to hesitate to share it. Um, When we share the gospel, we are celebrating what God has done. You know, we're told in the first chapter of Acts uh, that before Jesus ascends into heaven, he told his followers that uh, they were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the ends of the earth. And and the reality is all of us are here this morning because God used a forgiven sinner uh, to tell us the good news that we could find forgiveness in Christ. And so it may, have been, uh, it may have been your parents, it may have been a friend, it may have been a stranger, it may have been you know, a traveling evangelist. When I was working in Alabama, uh, the number of people who'd come to faith by watching Billy Graham on television was ast- you know, astonishing to me. Uh, but it's true, God used TV to bring many to Christ when I was uh, talking to people about their faith in Alabama. The reality is that someone loved you, uh, someone loved you enough to tell you the good news, And you and I are called to that same work. Uh, John Owen says that the word can only come in power to our hearers when it has come with power to our own hearts. Uh, God uses forgiven sinners to tell other sinners about forgiveness. And God still uses people uh, like you, like me. Uh, He uses forgiven sinners to tell other sinners the good news that their sins can be forgiven. And as we carry this message, we trust uh, that God will use it powerfully to change hearts, uh, to change lives just like he, is, he has in our lives, uh, just like he did in this uh, wicked city long ago. And so as our God continues to surprise us with his never-ending grace, uh, we respond. We respond um, by being surprised again and again at his amazing grace, which would have been a good song to sing afterwards, but I didn't do that. Uh, but we were amazed by God's grace over and over again. And so um, let me